0: Okay, so I promised last week that we would do a Q&A because we haven't done that in over a year. It's been almost a year and a half and folks request that every so often because they say I'm storing up questions and I have a question about this and so occasionally I like to take the Sunday adult Sunday school class time and do a question and answer uh, from a Bible book or a Bible text or a topic, a theology that you want to discuss or you want answers to. Now's your time to get that. So while you're thinking of those, um, we'll open in prayer and then I've got something I want to kind of bring up that to sort of prime the pump a little bit. So let's bow our heads. Our Father, we are grateful that we have a warm and dry place to meet this morning. And with the the coldness outside, we are reminded of how good you are to provide for us this this warmth, And also the freedom to get together and to enjoy fellowship and worship and to consider the things in your word. It's our desire that you would be glorified through our discussion and our questions and the answers. And um, as we seek to honor you through the understanding of truth, may you be glorified. May you continue to use your word to sanctify your people. And we ask that our Sunday school time here might be something that you would use to that end, to sanctify us by your truth and through your truth. We love you and we thank you for Christ who has brought us here and called us to uh, you and to salvation. We're grateful for the redemption that he has provided for us. And we pray that as um, as we gather together today that you would be glorified through and in your church, both now and forever, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well to get the the pump kind of uh, the pump kind of primed, the pump primed. Uh, I received a letter a little bit ago and, and I'm going to bring this up not because I want to mock this, though it would be easy to to mock and ridicule this. That's not my goal here. My goal is to use this letter sort of as an object lesson on um, on the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture. And so I'm going to read to you something that I received. Here's what happened. It was several, uh, it was about a month ago, somebody walked up after the service. Not somebody from our congregation, it was somebody that has been here that I even remember. is not somebody that's here. Don't expect him to be here today. But it, he walked up and gave me a letter and said, I believe that the Lord is speaking to me and giving me some prophecies and some revelations, and I want to share these with you because my conscience drives me to do this. So he presented the letter to me, and uh, I said, if I, if I think there's anything to it, I'll, I'll give you a call. I haven't called him, and I don't intend on calling him. Um, But I read the letter, and I want to read this once again, not because I'm trying to mock this, but I think this is instructive to us as to, um, well, you'll see in just a second. Uh, Since January of 2002, there's some introductory stuff, so I'm not quoting this in full, just for the record. Since January of 2012, I have continued to have multiple clear and seemingly pertinent dreams regarding the welfare of the people, both in the U.S. and on this planet. Dreams are repetitive and clear. Showing a major conflict to occur in this country starting on May 31st, 2014. The advice of the dreams indicates that those who are aware will choose to go to Canada before this date and stay for eight days before deciding to re-enter the U.S. In addition, two more dates shown are an equatorial pole shift. I don't even know what that is. To occur on January 3rd. I don't know what that is. That was my comment, not his. The polls are going to switch places. Thank you, Thomas. Appreciate the clarity. Not only do we have a prophet, but we have somebody who can interpret modern-day prophecies. So that's very helpful. Okay, so an equatorial pole shift to occur on January 3rd, 2015, followed by the San Andreas Fault failure, causing flood to the west U.S. up to the Rocky Mountain Range, to occur on April 1st, 2015. I could be wrong, of course, but the dreams... <laughs> I have a hard time reading that with a straight face. I could be wrong, of course, but the dreams are showing that Thursdays will have events that blow the mind since June twenty fifth, 2013, until Memorial Day, start of martial law. In addition, when we see a wall around the White House, we will know that the dates are true. And uh, then there's some salutary addresses at the end, and he signs it. Now, who, who did this? The name of the guy, wasn't anonymous, but the name of the guy is not important. But what is important is the substance of, of this type of thinking, this type of theology, and what this does to our view of sola scriptura, scripture alone, and the sufficiency of scripture. One of the things that you should have picked up right away when I chuckled and I said I could be wrong, but have you ever heard an Old Testament prophet? You ever read an Old Testament prophet that did that? No. Are prophets ever wrong? Okay, so a prophet. What's that? No, no prophet. Right, that's right. Prophet of God. prophets of God are never wrong. No prophet who believes that what he says is from God and believes this firmly would ever say I could be wrong. Because prophets were never uncertain as to whether or not they were receiving divine revelation. They always knew they were receiving divine revelation. It doesn't mean that the prophets understood everything that they were revealing, because Peter says that the, even the angels longed to look into these things, and the prophets didn't even know what they were prophesying when they spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that were to follow, First uh, Peter chapter 1. But even though they didn't know necessarily all that they were describing or how all of these things would come to pass, they knew that they were speaking on behalf of God. Um. This is why this is this is um, one of the ramif- This is one of the results of having a low view of Scripture in the church, and of people believing that they are prophets today in the same way that there were prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. When people believe that they are receiving <clears throat> revelations from God and that God speaks outside of Scripture, then what I have just read to you is the logical result. That is the logical theological conclusion of that presupposition. If you believe that God speaks outside of His Word, then there is nothing you can say about that prophecy that I just read to you. Because you cannot then say, you are wrong. You only can wait and see if it comes to pass or not. But I can guarantee you that when it does not come to pass, there will be some excuse, some reason why they got it just a little bit off. Just a little bit off. Kind of like Jonah when he said Nineveh will be overthrown in 40 days and it wasn't. Just a little small correction is all that was needed. But they will never question whether or not God speaks to them so the the whole idea that God speaks to us outside of scripture you could I I would see it as on a continuum the theology on a continuum you have people who believe that they're quietly receiving the still small voice little impressions that God is revealing things to them in their mind and the other end of that continuum you have people who think that today they are modern-day prophets and they are giving the voice of God and revelation to the church if this guy is a prophet then what should we do with these prophets if, if he's speaking for God then what what should we do with what I just read to you we shall move to Canada just so happens that I'm actually planning a trip to Canada about that same time <sighs> yeah yeah I think I think Deidre's, Deidres dad's birthday is on June 5th or something his 80th birthday or so we're going up there for that I don't know that it'll be eight days but shouldn't that go in the back of our Bible and let me ask you a question is it possible for God to speak? less authoritative and accurately at one point than it is for him to speak at another point. If God says it, it is equally authoritative, right? But there were there were no examples of prophets who didn't hear it quite right. Well, if they're different, if, if the prophecy, here's the thing, if the prophecy of today is different than the prophecy of then, then it is not the same thing, period. It's the same God providing the prophecy, right. Uh, How we treat those visions and dreams in the future when that happens will be, I I don't know what we're going to do with that. I I don't have to make that decision now to know that that's not going on right now. Um, Not everything that God has said has been recorded and written down. Do you guys realize that? Not everything he has said has been recorded and written down. There were prophecies and revelations that took place outside of Scripture when God spoke authoritatively. But everything that he has intended to be preserved for us is written down. But not everything he has ever said or revealed is written down. Because I would assume that they had schools of the prophets in the Old Testament during the times of Elijah and Elisha. And I would assume and would think rationally and biblically so that those men functioned as prophets in giving revelation, foretelling the future, uh, speaking to those, addressing those issues, uh, not only prophesying but also foretelling or preaching the word of God. And God used those prophets in that prophetic office for years but not everything that they said and not everything that they did is written down for us in scripture but God has written down what he intends for us for uh, he intended to preserve for us today and everything that he has intended to preserve he has preserved so in the future when God does pour out his holy spirit on all mankind which i believe is a reference to the millennial kingdom and the blessing of at that period of time whether those things will need to be written down or not is something that will have to be dealt with then Because that text doesn't address whether those things will be written and preserved. But I wouldn't assume that we would need to have those things written down. Because not everything that God has revealed needs to be written down. For it to be authoritative or for it to be accurate. But now we have to come back to the question, is it possible for God to speak more accurately at one point than he does at another point? That is impossible. If God has spoken, it is accurate. That is why the Old Testament test for a prophet was that they had to speak the truth of God 100% of the time, always, without fail, and without false prophecy. And if you got it wrong, you should have been stoned. That was what the scriptures called for. Stone the false prophet because they lead people, God's people astray. Prophets never wondered whether or not they were prophets. There was never any doubt because they were not in- inaccurate. Alright, any other questions about that? Issue of prophecy and hearing God's voice? The two witnesses in Revelation, they'll be prophesying this, right? But once again, whether or not what they, what, what, whether or not God will direct that what they say is written down and preserved is a thing for a future time. I, I would, I would suggest my, if I had a gut, if I had to make a decision, I had to go to a wall for something. I would say that those future prophecies that Sean mentioned and that you mentioned from those prophets and the and the and the visions and revelations that God gives during the millennial kingdom, that those things will not need to be written down, because even if we say that there's still yet to be future written down revelation that we need, then that is a confession that this is insufficient. Right? We're still waiting for something to finish this up. This is sufficient. This is all that I need. I need need nothing else to be written down. Nothing else to be revealed. I have everything I need for life and godliness. Thomas? Right. And, And remember that even Old Testament prophecy was not was not notable because of necessarily its predictive element. It was not only forth it was foretelling. A prophet was somebody who spoke the Word of God, even addressing, even if a prophet did not talk, uh, speak anything regarding the future, he was still a prophet, which, is, which means the prophetic voice of God. An individual who stood up and said what God's Word said, or taught the Word of God, or pro- predicted the Word of God, or, or just simply forth what was true, that is a That was the function of the role of a prophet. You didn't have to just talk about things that were yet future in order to be a prophet or to function in the role of a prophet. You could be somebody who just spoke what is true, spoke God's Word. Anna? How do we know the Bible is not being written? Oh, it's done being written. Okay, hold on. Did you have something to add to that real quick? Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I believe that internally in Scripture we have the evidence that the the intention of God was not to continue to reveal things throughout the church age. My position on 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is that, that that which is perfect is the Word of God. When that which is perfect has come, then tongues themselves and all the other revelatory gifts are no longer needed. That is why we have the testimony from Scripture that tongues died out. You look at the book of Acts, you didn't have tongues, you didn't have prophets, you didn't have those things happening all the way through the end of the church age. They didn't increase um, the intention of God in the New Testament was to give to His people a revelation of the, of the New Covenant, a new, a new covenant or New Testament revelation, and then that that was to cease. It, it wasn't the expectation of the apostles that this revelation would continue. We're not even given any in indication or instructions in Scripture on when to expect further revelation or that we should expect further revelation. The prof the apostles in the New Testament spoke as God was revealing truth through them, and that this would be sufficient for life and godliness. That's why Peter would say this. Paul, at the end of his life, didn't tell Timothy, look forward to the next generation of apostles who will continue to reveal to you God's word. Paul told Timothy, you go back to the scriptures which you have known from childhood. They are able to make you wise unto salvation, and all scriptures given by inspiration of God. Peter did the same thing in his epistle, Second uh, Peter chapter 1. As Peter knew that the end of his life was coming, he said, I'm about ready to cast off this earthly tent. And he pointed them back to the Scriptures. And he said, the Scriptures give us everything that we need for life and for godliness. Don't trust revelations. Don't trust experiences. Um, and that's where Peter gives his passage on the inspiration of Scripture, saying that the prophets did not speak of their own initiative or their own will, but that, they were, um, that the prophets spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. So both the apostles, as the New Testament era came to a close, both of the chief apostles, Peter and Paul, both pointed to Scripture as the guide for the church not to any continuing revelation. And then that's the testimony of the early church fathers, too. I would add to that. Men like Eusebius and Polycarp, men who knew the founding, uh, the the apostles, uh, those men did not look forward to the next generation of prophetic revelation. Those men always pointed back to the apostles. So the first generation of Christians after the apostles, men who were discipled by and mentored by the apostles, always pointed back to the apostolic writings and to the teachings, to the Old and New Testament scriptures as, as what God has revealed and never expected from the apostles who mentored them that there would be further revelation. Dave? Right. Yeah, good point. The application of obeying prophecies like that, Dave is saying, causes us to disobey what scripture has already revealed concerning what our conduct should be. That's a good point. So the question is, how do you witness to somebody who who evalu- values their experiences or their visions or God's voice to them higher than Scripture? Uh, other than pointing out the obvious problem that they have a, a pathetically low view of Scripture and the written Word of God, I I don't know where else you can go with an individual like that. If you don't have the if you don't have a common view of Scripture as authoritative, then I think it's difficult to even get to to step two with somebody like that. I mean, if you can't, you, you have to get back to Is is Scripture sufficient? Has God spoken more authoritatively in the past than He can and does in the present? Is God continuing to give us revelation? If so, then this is not sufficient. And the lack of confidence in the sufficiency of Scripture is a mother evil that gives birth to a thousand manifestations of every every wickedness and every perverse theology that plagues the church today can be traced back to an inadequate view of Scripture. Thomas, Second uh, Peter, let me get something here real quick, Sean, before I go to your question. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, Paul uh, Peter addresses the issue of experiences. Um, it is difficult to think of somebody who experienced more than Peter did or had more vivid or more spiritual and emotional experiences than Peter did. And so he says in uh, chapter 1 verse 16, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power of, and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So that's an experience. This is verse 16 and 17. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So Peter's saying, we didn't follow a tale. We saw this with our own eyes. So now he's talking about his experiences and what experience in particular, verse 17, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. What experience is Peter referring to there? Anybody know? Yeah, the transfiguration. That's what he, Matthew uh, 16, 17, Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. So that's quite an experience, right? Has anybody ever seen that? The, The incarnate Christ transfigured before you see the glory and hear the voice of God the Father speaking from heaven? Nobody, how many people heard that? Three men, Peter, James, and John were the only ones that saw that. Peter says, that was our experience. But look at verse 19. He says, We have the prophetic word made more sure. More sure than what? What is the prophetic word more sure than? His experience. Peter says, We saw this, but what is more sure that is more reliable and more certain than an experience? Even one as vivid and majestic and incredible as that. Even one that oh, he was only one of three people chosen to see that. What is more sure than hearing the voice of the Father from heaven and that experience of seeing what He saw. What is more sure than what His eyes saw and His ears heard? The prophetic word. And what is Peter talking about? The Scriptures. The Scriptures are more sure than that experience. So if you have to choose between an experience and Scripture, you should be, like Peter, willing to say, the prophetic word is more sure and more certain than anything I have ever experienced, no matter how real it is. My experience must fall and must bow the knee to what I know to be true from Scripture, no matter how real my experience is, no matter how majestic and incredible it is. Even if I'm one of only three people to experience something as phenomenal as that, the prophetic word is more sure than all of that experience. So he says, We we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So Peter points to the Scripture because it is inspired, it is written, it is certain, it is revealed, and that's better than my experience. And you got to be able to take, I think, somebody to that point. Are you willing to say that reading the Old Testament of Scripture and hearing from God in the voice of any Scripture is better than hearing the voice of God from heaven, if you were to do that? How many many Christians today would be willing to say that? It's better to read Amos than to hear the still small voice. How many Christians do you know that would say that? If you cannot say that, you have a pathetically low view of Scripture. Because you can be deceived by a still small voice. Or by even something as majestic as what Peter experienced. But you cannot be deceived by the Scriptures. Alright, Sean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I've run into folks like that and that's that's a hard thing to swallow. Some people some people reject the idea that my experiences can be wrong because they have had very real experiences. And that's cher- that they cherish that. So they they cherish the emotional rush or the high or the confidence that man God has spoken to me personally. And I I heard this and I received this. And so that becomes something that I cherish because I've it's experienced and so it means something to me dear and near to me like a friend and then to be divested of that and to be told hey that is that's nothing that that is insignificant and it is nothing compared to scripture people have a hard time giving that up because it's something that is dear to them because it was an experience or because it came at an emotional time or or whatever the motivation might be sometimes it's pride sometimes it's just a tradition sometimes it's because it's what they taught or sometimes because they they really do cherish the emotional connection that they get from that event yeah dave right yeah, we have, to, we have to come back. Every Christian should be willing to be at the place that says, I would rather read, pick your book, than hear a still small voice. I'd rather have that. Because I can never be deceived by this. Never. I can be deceived so easily by anything I experience or think I'm getting from God. Jenny? Yeah, that's a good point. Everybody has a plumb line or a standard by which they determine or measure truth, whether it's the scientist or experience or church leaders it always has to be scripture yeah another example of that is when you hear the word of god rightly preached and there is something in the explanation or exposition of scripture in sunday school or the pulpit or you're listening to a sermon online or whatever it is when when you see the meaning of the text of scripture and that meaning does a work in your heart you are hearing from god it's not just that man it's it's god's word if the man ceases to preach god's word and you hear his opinions and that does some emotional thing in you you're not hearing from god you're being manipulated emotionally but when the word of god is clearly taught that's why you often hear me pray when the word of god is clearly taught or yeah when the word of god is clearly taught the voice of god is clearly heard when we understand the meaning of scripture we are hearing the voice of god he is speaking directly to us and in the application of that and the understanding of that and grasping that truth and living out that truth you are hearing from God. You don't need a still, small voice. You need to hear the Word of God explained and taught and read and have an encounter with Scripture. That, that is the voice of God. There's nothing more reliable and nothing more life-transforming than that. Thomas. And an individual who is a channel of divine revelation should be able to authenticate that they are a channel of divine revelation. That went part and parcel with being a prophet or an apostle. God speaking through you, Then let's see some signs. Even Jesus said, "Don't believe the works that I do; believe the or don't believe the words that I say. Believe the works that I do; these prove that the Father has sent me." You want to authenticate whether Jesus is a divine messenger and that He is sent from God? Look at the works that He did. He constantly pointed back to the works, the deeds that I do are evidence that I come from God and I speak for God. So a modern day prophet stands up and he says, "I come from God. I speak from God." All right, let's see the let's see your credentials. Let's see the evidence. If God's speaking through you, then He will authenticate you as a messenger, just like He did all the apostles and prophets, even Jesus did not demand before the Pharisees in John 5 to be taken just at his word. Just because somebody comes up and says, hey, I'm God. Jesus didn't demand that they accept that without any authenticating signs. He pointed to the signs and said, you don't believe my words? Believe my works. The Father's doing these through me. So this is the authentication that what I'm saying is true and that I speak on behalf of God. Any other questions? We've spent most of our time on that subject of divine revelation so far. It's good, I think, to be reminded of these things that Scripture is sufficient, and it is important, and and it is reliable, it is trustworthy, it is true. Um, there's something that I was going to make a comment on something that Dave said about the supernatural working of God when we encounter God in Scripture. Um, sometimes we think that we have not experienced God or seen God at work in our lives unless we are able to point to things that we call miracles. They're really not miracles, but they're acts of providence, right? We need we need a uh, um, we need $200 to make the rent. And somebody shows up and says, hey, remember that $200 I borrowed two years ago? Uh, here it is. And we say, oh, that's a miracle. God provided my $200 for the rent. That's not, not a miracle. Um, a miracle is a suspension of the laws of nature. something that reverses the laws of nature. That's a miracle. This is just divine providence. We need to make sure that we understand the difference between providence and miracles. Somebody showing up and giving me $200 right at the minute that I need it to pay my rent is not a miracle. And it may be a reminder of what the Puritans call extraordinary providence, those things that sort of slap us in the face where we realize, oh, hey, God is in this. But even those extraordinary providences are intended to remind us of the ordinary providences, that me working my job and having a job to work and bringing home a paycheck every month is just as much an example of God's miraculous, sorry, providential provision as being given a check for $200 right in time to make the rent. Right? Sometimes we think that God's not at work unless we can see His hand. And what we need to recognize is that God is work, at work behind the invisible hand. He's at work in the invisible hand in all of the countless ways that we go through life and we never even recognize. That God's providence is at work even while we are here, working out all things for our good, providing for our needs, and wonderfully orchestrating His entire eternal plan God is. God is not just involved in our lives when we see these massive things happen that we think are extraordinary. God is involved in the minutia of it. And sometimes I tell people you don't have to hear God's voice and hear the whisper and see miracles in order to know that God is at work in your lives. That That's an act of faith. What what type of faith is it that only thinks God is at work if you see it? Is that strong faith? That's not strong faith. That's weak faith. It is a strong faith that says even when I don't see it, I believe that the hand of God is working on my behalf and that everything is under His control and He is working in the smallest details of my life. Everything from the rip in my jeans to the, my shoes wearing out to the bill that came unexpectedly. Every last detail of my life, He is orchestrating it. He is working in it for my good and for His glory. That's what biblical mature faith is. Not the type of faith that says, well, God must not be at work because I don't see it. That's the lack of faith. It's strong faith that says, I believe not only that He is at work, but He is, he is working so masterfully as that I can't even see it. I don't even experience it. That's how good my God is. That he can work in my life, every detail, and I don't even notice it. That's genuine faith. Any other questions? We got about five more minutes. Steve, uh, that's a tough one. The question is, how do, with with so much garbage, how do you sort through the good garbage and the bad garbage? Um, what garbage is poison, and what garbage is just garbage? And and that is tough in our environment because not every not every wolf is easy to identify. There are some wolves who live their entire lives and serve in the church their entire lives and even shepherd a church for their entire lives. And you never know that they were wolves because they weren't aggressively promoting heresy. They were just not promoting the truth. So rather than poisoning God's people, they were just starving them to death. And sometimes guys like that are hard to identify um, there are certain salvation issues that you have to look for: um, the doctrine of the Trinity, what I would call the essentials. You know, the the inspiration, authority of Scripture, the doctrine of the Trinity, um, the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, I said the Scripture. Uh, Christ, His atoning death on the cross, the bodily resurrection, um, salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Those are what we would call the essentials. Anybody that denies those obviously is throwing up the red flag, saying, "I'm a heretic. Flee from me. I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing." And, uh, some guys can deny those things and throw up the red flags, and some of God's people will, will follow after them still because they're not discerning enough. So there are salvation issues, but then there is also, there are also men who look like they are orthodox, but they're just not faithful. Um, sometimes those guys can be wolves. Sometimes those guys can be, um, just unfaithful Christian shepherds. Ron? Yeah. Not every wolf thinks they're a wolf. You know, do you think Benny Hinn wakes up every morning and says, How am I going to deceive God's people today? I want to lead some people to hell. He doesn't do that. He just, he wakes up, he thinks, he thinks, he thinks that what he is doing is God's calling, that he's a servant of God. I'm sure he's convinced of it. There are some wolves who know they're wolves, but I think they're the exception. Does that help? I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I'm vexed by the amount of garbage that's out there. I really do. I, 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 I flip across on my TV every once in a while. You know, the the channel comes up, and I'll watch 60 seconds of it. It's all I can stomach, and i got to flip right on to the next thing. Justin Peters, he watches hours of that stuff. He knows those guys forward and backwards, but I I can't do it. I just say, hey, tell me about so-and-so. I can't stomach it. Any other questions? That was a good question. All right, well, no more Q&A for another year then. That's when I have any more questions. All right. So, lesson for today, scripture sufficient. It is all that we need. And anybody who would do or say anything to distract our attention away from God's written revelation must be shunned and run from. He's not a servant of God. He's not a servant of God if he is not a servant of the book of the word. It's written, it's authoritative, and we need nothing else. No still small voice, no experience, no miracles, no extraordinary providences nothing to confirm it. It is written, God has given it to us, and it is sufficient. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for these reminders, and we pray that you would fix and steal within our hearts a love for and a desire for the truth. Keep us hungry for the truth and only the truth, and we pray that you would protect your people, your sheep, from liars and deceivers, false prophets and false teachers. Keep us constantly longing for and loving your word and reminding us again and again how sufficient it is. Help us to identify every false belief that draws us away from believing in the sufficiency of your word and bring us back always and constantly to your written revelation which is the only sure place we can see you our great god and our savior the lord jesus christ we thank you for your word we thank you for giving it to us for inspiring it and for preserving it for us in our own language we praise you in christ's name amen thank you for listening to the latest podcast from kootenai church